Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. This is Roger Abel with co-host Elias Randall. Elias, how's your week treating you so far? Good, good. I'm happy to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, we got, what, an exciting topic to talk about today. And uh, so far, my week's been pretty good. How are you? Good, good. And I think this is a topic that it's weighing on the minds of lots of people, whether they own a home or looking to buy a home. It's just seems to be the topic of conversation about everywhere I go. I was sitting at a restaurant down at Lake of the Ozarks here like, I don't know, three weeks ago, and I, I heard it. Hey, are housing prices going to fall? What are the signs they could fall? And everybody feels like there's this frothy housing market because prices have went up pretty quickly on homes. I mean, a lot of places, year-over-year home increases over 20%. But I thought it'd be good to talk about you know, what could happen and what maybe is different this time versus 2007 and 2008, 2009, when we saw this great crash in, in homing, housing prices. I saw a Dave Ramsey clip. Somebody called into the show and said, should I wait to buy a home when prices go down? What, what was Dave Ramsey's response? You know what the response was? Buy the house today. Yeah, if you're prices ready to aren't, buy, buy. Prices aren't going down in five years. He goes, they may, his belief, and this is not mine, is that prices may not keep going up at this pace. They may level off or not increase at all, but the likelihood of them going down isn't great. There's been very few times where we've had a nationwide you know, housing crash, per se. Really, the only time I remember in my lifetime is 2007, 2008. And prices since then, if you owned a home and you did nothing, Guess what happened? Your house is still worth more now. It's still worth more than it was back then. It's almost like the long-term investing strategies we talk to people about. So I, I do think that people should start to think about a slowing in the housing market. And what's happening is the Federal Reserve is trying to slow this economy. The economy has been on a runaway freight train with inflation and growth for the last 18 months. And we're trying to slow it. That's why interest rates are being raised to try to slow down the increase in housing costs. The challenging thing, Elias, is two of the major drivers here, the Fed can't control. The Fed has very little control about the cost of food and the cost of actual energy, or in our case, gasoline. We just hit the highest ever recorded price per gallon. AAA's been doing uh, the, the research since 2000. It's the highest cost per gallon nationwide ever, over five bucks a gallon. It is really. Yeah, I just over read that this morning. Nationwide uh, AAA has been running their their survey since two thousand. The nationwide average price per gallon is over five dollars. It's the highest we we've ever seen. It's over five. Okay, so I think now we're starting to. I was thinking about this the other day. I feel like. I now know where the price of gas has to go to where it gets on my radar is something I think about. And what is in our local area? It's like four seventy-five dollars a gallon. Are we somewhere in there? I would say in the, in that range. I mean, I still don't look. I, I'm now gauging by how many gallons I get versus the price. And, and I'll tell you tell you why. The gas pumps used to stop at a hundred dollars, and I have a thirty-six gallon tank in my truck. I used to be able to get a full tank. Then they moved the gas pumps to $125 before they actually like shut off. And you have to like re-swipe your card. Well, for a while I was only getting like 24 gallons 
They've now moved a lot of the pumps to $150 before they make you re-swipe your card. I'm still not getting a full tank of gas. You got to fill it up when it's halfway there. Only well, let it get to half and then fill it up. Well, <laughs> coincidentally enough, I'm filling up and only getting just above half. Really? <laughs> so, and, and I'm too lazy. I'm not going to swipe the card. Like, I'm not swiping twice. I'm just going to go and get gas when I need it again. Yeah, so I have a story about that and why some of my thoughts I feel like are being confirmed recently with gas prices. So I know one at my own in my own house, we started talking about how well we should look at my schedule every week to determine if there's days that we can carpool. Me and my wife just drop the kids off and take one vehicle to work. Well, two years ago, this is a conversation I would have never even entertained, right? But now I'm actually thinking about it. And then the other thing for me that's been noticeable, so I think listener, some listeners might know, but I also I'm a football official, and at the beginning of the summer, there's some clinics and stuff people go to, and your schedule starts to come out for the fall. Well, the assigners, so the supervisors who give out games, have sent out emails about being conscious about gas prices and trying to get crews that's the guys you work with more local so they can save officials money on gas. And then this last weekend I went to a clinic and we talked about sharing the gas cost. That was a topic of conversation where I know for the last two years, no one, you just, everyone hopped in a car and no one was asking for gas money because gas was so cheap. It didn't bother anybody. Um, so though, to me, those are kind of signaling at least in my personal life, that's kind of a signal of this is gas prices where it starts to get painful. And I'm thinking, so if just football officials are talking about, hey, how can we minimize our costs and share it more? Well, how many people are not taking their boat out on the weekend now because of the extra gas bill or maybe hauling a camper somewhere for summer vacation or just going, they're just going to go less places now because it's too painful to fill up your fill up your gas tank. See, I think this is just absolutely ridiculous that people think about it that way. And I'm going to tell you why they're all worried about the, and I don't want to pay more for gas. I don't want to, but it's ridiculous. My uncle, he's coming or my wife's uncle. He's going to come down and visit us at Lake of the Ozarks. It's like 260 miles to get down there. He drives a 30 mile per gallon car. So he was going to drive to Cedar Rapids and then carpool with my in-laws because he thought he was going to save a bunch of money. You know, you know me, I did the, I did the actual math on it. It's going to take him 8.83 gallons of gas to get down there. So a year ago, gas is $1.92 per gallon more on average than a year ago. So one, it's going to cost him an extra $16 or $32 round trip. Seriously, it's going to cost an extra $32 round trip to go 520 miles and everybody's in a tizzy about it. Well, I promise you, the same people complaining about filling up their gas tank that's $20 more a week, they didn't complain about Starbucks raising the price of coffee from $2.79 to $3.69, and they go every single day. Are you sure no one's complaining about that? Listen, the line's as long as it's ever been. They're still buying okay. $8 coffee drinks. I got mine today. Yeah. you just People just pay. So that's what... I think it's ironic about that. They feel like this is this huge thing. But if you go quantified into like even your personal budget, you guys are driving 
50 miles each way. Cause I know you guys are like 25 miles away from the offices, mm -hmm. right? So it's a hundred miles. Well, if your cars are getting 20 miles to the gallon, you're spending five gallons a day, right? So it might cost you an extra five bucks a day. Yeah. So yeah, if you compare, if you just compare the cost, it's not as drastic. It's not as drastic as we all feel. Yeah. And, and I, I do like where you're going with that, which it's funny because I was, <laughs> the things I was just talking about to justify, well, when the person who mows my lawn was talking about how much they were going to raise the price because of gas, I actually, that was my negotiating with him was, well, if you think about your cost from two years ago, like you just said, it was a dollar ninety two, and now it's double that. So yeah, the total cost is painful. But if you look at the the if you compare the cost, like you're talking about, um, I guess maybe that can ease ease the pain a little bit when you just compare the actual cost. Well, and here's here's another interesting thing that's just happened in the last couple of days. Oil's started to come off pretty drastically. Oil was, was trading about one hundred and two hundred twenty two a barrel. As of today, we're at 105. So the cost yeah, of oil is, is down really over 10%. To, is that going to impact the price at the pump? Absolutely. It all impacts it. But probably not see immediately. It. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you're not going to see it immediately because there's already inventories and other things that have been paid for. But either way, you're starting to see the cost of this come down. And I noticed I saw a gas pump went down at 453. I'm like, oh, that's maybe not as high as it was. But I, I buy diesel, so I don't know. I don't track the price of gas. But... In general, I think that, you know, inflation's here to stay for a little while and the Fed's trying to start this, but, or, or the Fed's trying to fight this. But one of the big things that people are really concerned about is the cost of home ownership and the rising interest rates. We've got 30 year mortgages in the sixes now. Fannie Mae did a survey on home buyer sentiment. A record 79% of the people said it's a bad time to buy a home. You know, and I, I had this conversation with my wife the other night and I started thinking about this because we all start to buy in. You hear it enough. You start to buy in. Oh, yeah. Prices are going down. Prices are going down. And you can see prices coming down on some properties. But it's not properties that people just bought like a year or two ago. It's properties people have owned for five or six years and are trying to get an outlandish amount of money out of them. They're saying, hey, the average price per square foot's 300. I'm listed at 330. Well, nothing's actually sold at 330. They're all selling at 300. And everybody's getting nervous and feeling like very, very pessimistic. And you know what came to mind? The old Warren Buffett quote When others are fearful, you should be greedy. And when others are greedy, you should be fearful. We're in this very, very low investor confidence stage in everything, even the whole housing market, if everything, if everybody's pessimistic, maybe it's time to be greedy. Maybe we're thinking about it exactly the wrong way. So just that, that whole quote just came back to me. Be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And I told my wife that I'm like, maybe we're just thinking about it the wrong way. Maybe there's not going to be a decline in housing prices or a drastic one. More likely, they might just cool off. But there's some signs that it is already cooling off. There is. And I think as we go through our show notes and talk about some of the data that that we've put together for this show, I think any fears or like waiting for a crash, I don't think you can justify 
that sentiment just based when you compare the data of like 2007 and 2008 until now. But to add to your point, so I, I found a chart this morning about median U.S. home list prices. So the median home listing price is still elevated, but new listings, new listing prices are coming down. So I think that high, I think that speaks to the point you just made of some of the houses are people that have, maybe they don't really want to sell their house, but they thought this might be a good opportunity to get more money than what I was, when, what I ever thought my house would be worth, worth. So I'm just going to list it and see what happens. But I'm, the new listing price is coming down. To me, that's signaling, okay, brokers, real estate agents, the people who understand the market and are helping people sell homes, they're already adjusting the price for the current market conditions. Um, so I, I think exact, I think we're going to see exactly that. We're going to see a, a cool off in the, in the pricing market. Now I'm feel like these prices are going to be fairly sticky because if you bought, especially in the last couple of years, you bought a home that you really like, you finance it around a 3% 30 year mortgage, you're not going to want to sell it for less than what you bought it. So those houses probably just aren't going to come, you know, they're not just going to come back on the market for no reason, 25% higher than what they bought it for two years ago. And think about some other support that's out there. Rates are at two, six or 6%. I'll use my personal situation. My wife would probably like to build a new house. Well, at the end of the day, I'm locked in at a 2.75% rate. At some point, if rates go too high, that's going to limit inventory because it's like, well, what am I really getting? We've got higher prices, higher costs to borrow. Why would I move? So that may restrict overall supply. And that's really what's going to have to happen for prices to come down drastically is just an oversupply in the market. Why did prices come down drastically in 2007, 8, and 9? And I have some statistics to highlight the major differences. Well, it's purely supply. People had adjustable rate mortgages that were coming through and happening and adjusting. They couldn't afford it. So guess what happens? We have this oversupply of homes. Yeah, they had They're, to sell or, yeah, they just had to sell or short sell their home or whatever. And, and listen, inventory of homes is actually growing right now. They're up 13% year over year. So there is a growing number of inventory of homes, but it's still low. Go look in your local market and see what's available for, for sale. It's minimal. And I look all the time on Zillow because I just like looking at real estate. Um, yeah, if the supply if the supply hadn't gotten so low, there could be like a year over year increase of 13%. That would be significant. But an increase in 13% over the last year when inventory was as low as it was, to me, that's like a nibble into the problem of supply. It's not like a, it's not going to all of a sudden, oh, now we have too many homes. Think about this. For, if, you, for if, if you have, I don't even know, let's just, let's just pull this up where we're, we're in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Let's put, see what the active listings are. Okay, Elias. So let's just look at our local, we're in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So I just went and punched in Cedar Rapids, Iowa to Zillow, no filters, no ink, nothing. Just how many houses? I didn't do condos or apartments, just did houses. There's 294 listings on Zillow. Let's think about this. So we have 13% more. There's 30 more homes. It's not relevant 
in the overall supply. Because once you start to filter this down by your specific demographic, you know, if I go put in here 200 to 350,000, you have 54 homes. 54 homes in the entire city that are for sale between 200 dollars and $350,000. That's not very many homes when you look at the overall population base. And then, oh, by the way, they're up 14% from last year. There's like six more homes in that price range. It's still restricted inventory. So that's one thing that's going to support prices. Um, and what makes it a little bit different. But the other things that you can see where homes are slowing down, you mentioned price cuts. We're also starting to see real estate companies lay people off. And the mortgage industry is like over right now. Yeah, I heard. I, mean, I, I heard. They're like um, over. Yeah, there was a a mortgage broker, I think from Florida on, uh, on CNBC. And he said, he said, it feels like someone just flipped a switch on us. And I'm sure it does feel like that for them. They went from probably record years. If you're in the, uh, a mortgage in the mortgage broker business to your, your revenue could be down 40 or 50% if you year think, to date. Think about this. This is how good it was for the mortgage industry. Anybody that had any type of a loan taken out pre-2019, they're all probably in the three and a half to 5%, somewhere in there, right? They could have locked in a 30-year at 2.75. It almost makes every single home borrower in America a potential client. I mean, and if you say 1%- refinance, I'm shocked when they tell me that. Well- I am, but if you're five years away from paying it off, it doesn't matter. You've already paid all the interest. Right. You know, the, the people that benefit from that refinance, hey, we're going to live in this house for another seven years or have this load for another seven years. You know, we're only 28 years into the loan or I'm going from a 30 year to a 15 year because the payment's exactly the same and the rate's two and a quarter, 2%. But think about how good that was for the mortgage industry to just say, hey, look, every single person in America that that has a home loan it's paid for in cash it doesn't matter potentially becomes an opportunity another opportunity is out there even if the client or potential borrower didn't see benefits in just refinancing their home a lot of people wanted to tap their equity right yeah tappable equity for definition is all equity in excess of 20% loan to value, meaning you have $100,000, you owe 50. That first 20% is not tappable, everything after it is, because the 20% is really what you need to be off PMI insurance and all of those different kind of risk factors. We had $11 trillion in tappable equity. That's up 34% year over year. So also these lenders were saying, hey, look, because I've been getting letters from HomePoint, which is where my mortgage is at, you might be missing out on an opportunity to do a cash out refinance in your house, which I, I didn't do because I didn't need the cash. But there's this huge opportunity. People have built up so much equity in their homes that they had the opportunity to cash out and refinance it at 2.75% or whatever it was. That's over for mortgage lenders. Yes, that is. Because I'm sure people, there were probably people that took advantage of the opportunity to do a project have equity in their home. I could do a cash out refinance, pay for it and, and get it done. So just even those type of opportunities, opportunities 
a lot of that's probably off the table now. I'm not saying it's all gone. People are still going to do that, but at the rate people were doing it and the number of people willing to do that certainly um, ha- has come down. Well, and to your point, that actually happened. Um, it's I'm looking at an article here. It says people who bought their home since 2020 have spent more on repairs in the past year than those who bought pre-pandemic. So it just said the people who bought a house in 2020 or since 2020, they just bought whatever they could get. Because that's what's happened. Right? This housing market is... There's no choice anymore. You don't get to walk into a house and say, hey, look, it has oak cabinets, but I really want white ones, so I'll wait. What people are doing is saying, hey, great, I'll take it. I'll go fix all the problems with this house. So they, and because they believe they're going to have this built in equity or capital, and there's no inventory. I remember looking for homes and you had choices. You have no choice right now. Very limited choice. And so then, that's, and I do want to make, because we're talking about the supply. So I do want to make a comment about the demand for homes. And this is not, I don't have a chart or data. This is just kind of my own thinking and opinion, but the demand for houses to me is not going to go away. People want to buy houses and even young people still want to buy a house. And I remember, um, I remember listening to research probably five and six years ago about how young people weren't going to buy homes anymore. Young people wanted to live in apartments and be able to up and leave whenever they wanted. And I thought it was compelling research at the time and some compelling points. But I just think since I've heard all that and just the way I see things and the people I associate with, how they think and what they want, I just don't see demand for houses coming down drastically. Almost everyone at some point wants to own a home. Cause and effect of COVID. I remember REIT people or REIT, REIT to product uh, wholesalers calling us, telling us that exact story. Hey, there's the move to the urban. All the young people want to be in a centralized apartment facility with a workout center and a coffee shop and parking and all their amenities. I remember all those stories. All those stories. I think you're exactly right. That's over. COVID happened. And here's the problem with an apartment. You had two bedrooms and now you have a kid and a wife and a dog. And now you're working at home. You want space. And we're seeing the move out of the urban centers into the less populated areas because of COVID. So I think you're right. The drive for home ownership is going to be more with one caveat as the cost to rent or the cost to own becomes substantially more expensive than the cost to rent. People are going to be forced back into those. Not because they want to. That's what they can afford. So I was listening to CNBC the other day. And there's like this equilibrium point where once it becomes more than $600 per month, more expensive to own than rent, people start looking at renting. Right now, the number is over $800. It's $800 on average more expensive to own than rent. So you're seeing this equilibrium push back to maybe the renting. But I want to talk about a couple like really, really, really major statistical data points and the reason that I think prices will hold up much better than they did in 2007 in the great financial crisis and the great recession and the housing market. In 2022 today, and let me me back up. One of the major leaders to the great 
financial crisis, the Great Recession was irresponsible lending. We had the ninja loan, the no income, no job application, no verification. Just, oh, yeah, you tell me you make 200000 I trust you. I give you a loan. Okay. Those days are over. But at the same time, I'll never forget, we were shopping for a house. And back, you know, in like 2005, 2006, all the mortgage rate, all the mortgage companies would publish their rates. They put them on their website. You could see them. And Countrywide, who went out of business, had a 40-year interest-only loan. And you didn't have to pay any principal. You're just paying interest payments, never building equity. They're interest-only mortgage loans back then. They're all adjustable rate. So the adjustable rate and irresponsible lending practices led to this run-up in housing and ultimately the collapse because nobody could afford it when their rates adjusted, which put oversupply of homes in the market. 2000, in 2007, there were 13 million adjustable rate mortgages in America. In 2022, there's 2.5 million. So there's six times the amount of adjustable rate mortgages in America than there are today. Right. And today that represents 8% of active mortgages today as compared to in 2007, 36% of all mortgages. Okay. So, so there's that, one. that's a very compelling data point right there. People, if they, and then couple that with how you get a loan. The standards to get a loan today are way more difficult than they were in 2006. I mean, I'm yeah. way more financially solvent than I've ever been. And I did a refinance like two years. I'm like, they want everything. Like they're looking at my checking account and all this like documentation. I'm like this is bananas. <laughs> so, okay. So that's one, two in 2007, there were 10 million mortgage resets, which means people with adjustable rate mortgages, there were 10 million, 10 million loans resetting their new, their new interest rate compared to 1.4 million today. 1.4 yeah, so million. I mean, just when you think about like st statistically, it's a very, it's a very significant difference. Next one, average credit score. 2022, the average credit score of a borrower in 2022 is 751. That's an excellent credit score. Yeah, it's it a very good credit score. Great. 751 in 2010, it was 699. And I'm getting all of these from uh, Black Knight Inc. They put out mortgage data stats. That's a website you can go to to get it. But you think about just those three things. We don't have nearly the, the number of adjustable rate mortgages. We don't have resets happening. And our qualifying standards are way higher. The only thing that would really cause us to get excess inventory is people can't afford their house. So and let's think about it, none of this data suggests that people are going to be in that situation. We're only going to be in that situation if we have mass unemployment. Well, think about our employment scenario. Correct. It's 3.6%. We can't find enough workers. So I read all these articles, the housing collapse is coming and talk. I don't know. You know, I don't predict, but none of the data points to me suggest we're going to see a massive downturn in prices. May we see a leveling off of list price, list price and sale price are two different things to track because the person that's listing their house for the number they just want to sell it for, because, Hey, if I got that number, I'd be happy and I'll figure it out is different than the person who says, hey, I'm relocating jobs, I need to sell this house. Realistic, Realistically, what's it selling for? 
Well, they yeah, they have to just sell it for what the market. Right. Whatever their broker says, hey, this is what you can sell for in this market. They're going to go with that number. It's the old adage. Anybody can list anything for sale that they want for whatever price they want. What it sells for is two different things. It's go out to eBay sometime. This is great. Go to eBay. I was selling some fishing equipment on there or trying to buy some. Guy's like, well, it's listed for $4,000 on eBay. Well, yeah, but then go press like recent sales. It's like $2,000. So you listed it for four, but really it's selling it too. They have a house listed for a million bucks that really it's going to sell at eight. You know, if you go look out on, and I look at Zillow all the time. If, if they're out there past 30 days, go look at the price per square foot. If it's on the market longer than 30 days, look at the price per square foot. And I'm sure they're 15 to 20% above the market price. Right. So is that person, they probably don't need to sell their home. If they're listing it at that price, they're probably just seeing if they can sell their home. Well, at that price. it's either a home or a second home yeah. or a rental property. And they're trying to take advantage of lack of inventory. I mean, if everybody wants what you have, then the market may buy it. But if you don't care if you sell it, you put the price on that would motivate you to sell it. You know, everything's for sale for the right price. That is true. Not everything. Most things are for sale for the right price. That, that is true. So really, I, I think for me, some of the key takeaways. So is the housing market cooling off? Yes, it is. That's probably in the long term going to be a good thing. Um, a crash for me to get for me to change my mind on a crash coming what like what you just said we would all of a sudden have to start having massive unemployment now i know people can't afford their home payment um and then some of these lending numbers if things start to trend down like the average credit score of borrowers you know if lenders start taking more risk so that they can get more people qualified for loans my mentality might start to shift a little bit, but I would have to see that first before I would start to entertain ideas of a housing market crash. If anything, with rising rates and less capacity, lending standards are going to get more scrutiny. It's going to be harder to get a loan. It's not going right. to become easier, but I do think you're going to see a rise, and we already are, in the adjustable rate mortgage again. You know, I, my, my good friend's a mortgage lender, and I called him the other day, and I said, hey, man, how you feeling about rates? He's like, we're not doing any loans. I go, what's the rate? He's like six or something. I don't remember five, five, seven, five, something like that. I go, are you doing adjustables? He goes, yeah, we're doing like a seven year and low four. So I'm like, okay. So people are going to start going back to that adjustable rate. So, but if it doesn't adjust for seven years, none of this is really going to matter for another seven years, considering Less than 8% of all the loans in America today are adjustable rate mortgages. Right. And if they keep the quality of the borrower high like they have been, then that that's not that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to lead to a potential issue. So I just I'm trying to figure out this is how I think about what I what I believe will happen. I'm just trying to figure out what the catalyst for a crash in the housing market would be. You know, as long as we have good unemployment and Average unemployment's like 4.6%. We're at 3.6. We're a long ways away from historical averages on unemployment. And then what would it actually have to get to for people to be able to start not affording their place and flood the market with inventory so that prices would drastically come down? Yeah, I think this topic, and I felt like this topic speaks to recency bias, and we talk about that in investing in markets. 
Um, and what, cause there's been articles about housing crash coming. I think we did an episode over a year ago or like six or eight months ago when Zillow, it was, I shouldn't say Zillow cause I don't remember which company, but do you remember there was one of those online brokerage companies that they stopped buying homes and someone, there was a couple articles that came out that that's a sign of a potential. Was it Redfin? It could have been. Okay. I just went and did this. Timeline of major U.S. housing crashes. How many do you think there's been, Elias? I know of one for sure. There's been five. There's been five. You ready? Well, how? Okay, but how are they defining a crash? We'll go back and find that out. But I'm on uh, NewsSilver.com. Uh, history of lending markets. The Panic of 1837, 1873, 1929, the Great Depression, and the 2008 housing bubble. So in the last hundred years, there's been two. The likelihood of a crash in housing is it's not likely. Yeah, very. It, it, it is unlikely. And I think all the data suggests there's a low probability right now. So with that said, I, I think if anybody wants to get in touch with us, ask us a question about this, get help with their long-term financial planning, get us at btwellshow.com. I had fun with the show, Elias. Uh, do you have any other closing remarks? No, no, I, I think we covered everything. Um, everyone, thank you for listening. And yeah, like Roger said, it was another fun show. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, Consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.